0: Hi, friends. I'm Trent Custers, co-founder and director at League of Geeks, and this is The Game Maker's Notebook. A few days ago, I had a chance to sit down with audio designer Martin Koale and Gregorius Kithriotis, creative director at Shedworks, to talk about their game, Sable. We had some brilliant chats where I spoke with Martin about how he managed to ground Sable in amongst all of its elements, utilizing audio design, as well as his work collaborating with Japanese Breakfast on the soundtrack. Greg and I spoke about how he went from childhood friend with his partner, Dan, to building a studio and releasing their game together. We spoke about balancing myth and comedy through their experience writing and designing the world of Sable and how Sable really is a wondrous exercise in restraint in so many different ways. It really is a spectacular game and these two are incredibly insightful and talented. I thoroughly enjoyed talking to them and I think you'll enjoy listening to the conversation too. So without further ado, here it is. Hello, everyone, and welcome to another episode of Game Maker's Notebook. Today we have with us Martin Kuale, uh, sound designer on Sable and creative director at Shedworks, creators of Sable, Gregorius Kithriotis. Welcome, gentlemen. Thank you. Thanks for having us. Fantastic. Good stuff. Um, well, hey, look, just like we do every time in Game Makers Notebook, I'm gonna fly straight into it. I'm gonna start with you, Greg. How did because there's another, there's another 50% of Shedworks Works as well, right? Which is Daniel, your partner. How did you two get into games? Like how did you what's the journey from <laughs> you, small small child Greg, playing some video games or whatever, and Daniel as well, and then finding each other, shared works and sable commencing. That's the seed yeah. of the idea.
1: I mean, uh, in some ways, it's a long story because we've known each other so long. We've known each other, you know, since since Daniel was born, I guess. Uh, our parent, our dads went to university <laughs> together. Um, and awesome. yeah, so we, we always, we played games together and, and knew each other, but actually we didn't see each other or know each other very well for quite a long time from about the age of 11 to, I guess, 22. Um, but I was, so I studied architecture and Daniel studied comparative literature. And, um, I was showing Daniel's dad, who's an architect, my architecture portfolio of my work. And he kind of said to me, what, what do you want to do when you graduate? Um, I said, I want to, I want to make video games. I don't want to do architecture. Um, and he kind of said to me, oh, you should, you should speak to Daniel because Daniel's kind of learning how to program, um. Uh, maybe maybe there's something there so we went to the pub and uh caught up for the first time in like 10 years and had a chat and said well (laughs) look we're not going to get jobs in the games industry based on our our university you know our degree and the work that we got from (laughs) that so why don't we just try it start start our own uh studio more as an internship kind of thing more just like oh just to get experience um rather more than mm-hmm. like really hoping it would be an extremely viable business um i think a naive part of me thought that it would be but um and although it worked out in the end i think that wasn't <laughs> uh, necessarily because of the way we started i guess um but yeah no it, it, and we started working in my parents shed hence the name shed works um and yeah we yeah really from there that's that's where we, we, where we came from and we kind of uh, self-taught, you know, we taught ourselves everything we know about game development. Um, The, yeah, I mean, to the point where we, I mean, we were so, we were so green, we were so fresh. We didn't even know. I remember the first must've been six months at least, maybe a year we were passing around USB sticks as our source control. Like that was our way of, we, we were like manually merging like unity packages. <laughs> and stuff. It was, it was a mess. So like this That's is, the this one is true way, we Right. Like, uh, so yeah. And, uh, but we, we got there and now we use proper source control and yeah, it's, uh, it's
0: good. But um Heck yeah, I love it. It's beautiful in its simplicity, just like Sable. It's such a fitting tale for the creators of the game. Uh, so, Martin, I guess the question for you is like, when did you did <laughs> when did you get pulled into this crazy ride? I think let's shoot ahead to that. and We can track back a little bit from there because, um, you know, did you get it? Did you get the call? Like, you know, Arnie and Commando, or you know,
2: we need you for this job, or how did how did it all go down? Uh, I think it's kind of like Arnie. Yeah, Arnie and Commando is pretty. <laughs> close to that to be honest i think uh, uh we got um introduced by uh by a common friend um and he recommended me i think for for sable um and uh, i think we basically had a call and talked a little bit about uh well mostly i think uh, you and daniel talked a bunch about uh, things and um, maybe i said a few things as well but i just remember that like, we talked generally about like the feel and vibe of Sable and. Um, and, and, uh, then maybe I did a sound test. I'm I'm not sure, but I I think we basically hit it off pretty well based on that conversation. Okay. Yeah. So it's just, (laughs) on. (laughs) and I think you also had like checked out some previous projects I've done and especially like this one game called Fugle Fugle, or a bird if you translate it to English, which is like a voxelized bird can we fly around as a bird without any other goal really. Um, and uh, I think you were pretty confident that I would be a good uh, collaborator on the, on the project. And I, and I was, and that's also like really nice to me because I love coming on as a, I guess, like as a collaborator rather than a contractor because the big difference with that. So, and I think that was in a 17, maybe late, like December, was it? Yeah. yeah. Yeah, I think so.
1: Yeah. It would have been late 2017. And um... Yeah. Yeah, I remember, I think the one, the biggest thing I personally was really excited about for the game ahead of time was the bikes and like what yeah. what you were going to be able to do with that and we talked about them being kind of like an yeah. instrument in the game um, and okay. how we wanted yeah. to handle that and I think uh, actually your work on Ghana, well the work on Fuga was like, okay that's the like world and nature and like you'll be able to do that, Like I wasn't too worried but the the gonna like sounds made me feel like, oh, that's some cool stuff that could uh translate somehow into the bikes, like so creative and like freeform. And at least for me, that was my thinking was like, oh, there's these two kind of like different spaces that you've you've touched on. And I felt like Sable was probably gonna have a bit of that. Um and I think oh uh, yeah, and then obviously just hitting it off and uh I, I think it was pretty quick. Like, we just had a chat and went, didn't we? It wasn't... I mean, there was no test. There was nothing. <laughs> I, just, I just listened to you make sounds from your mouth and I was "Oh, beautiful. That's doing it.
0: Well, you're used to that after Hidden Folks, I imagine, right, Martin? Yeah, it- yeah, yeah, yeah. Because <laughs> <laughs> all those sounds were... Fr- was, am I right in saying they were from your mouth as
2: well? Yeah, I mean, uh, not necessarily all my mouth, but uh, it's, it's basically the... The, it was like we did these sessions with uh, everyone that worked on the game, where we would do Skype calls or in person, or, you know in front of a microphone. It's like, how would a uh, pelican throwing up a, a bike sound like? And they're like, <laughs> no, okay, well, more with this time, more feeling. You know, like a lot of. Um... <laughs> so it, it was like all the developers of Hitbox made their mouth sounds, and it was a very good experience actually. Uh, yeah. Like that and Gunner both in the have this thing in similar that they're. They're all about the limitations of using one tool. So, like the voice for hidden folks and uh, the human voice, of course. And mm-hmm. uh, the OP1 is still a small weird synthesizer for Gunner. Uh, and it kind of keeps it, everything kind of works maybe a little bit because it all fits into the same um, style, I guess.
0: Yeah. I guess, unbeknownst to you, it was like training you for this job, this exercising constraint, which you know I, I really, really love about Sable, and I'm definitely keen to get into. But Greg, why don't you, for our listeners here, and I know you're what almost like a year or so post-launch, so you probably didn't think you'd have to do this again. But why don't you give us just like a your high-level pitch for what the game is, so people understand what we're talking about if they haven't played Sable before?
1: Yeah, um, so Sable's a uh, open-world exploration game set in a kind of desert. Sci-fi desert planet, um, and in the game you play as a young girl called Sable, um, leaving her nomadic clan, her home for the first time, and going out to explore the world. And uh, you you ride on a hover bike across this desert planet, across these dunes, and really the game's about discovery and exploration. So, um, so the game is extremely freeform. There's no kind of main quests. There's just a beginning and end. And then the kind of middle is just like this, uh, this dotted around islands of like short stories. That's how we kind of thought about them it was like, it was an islands of content mm-hmm. within an ocean of desert. Um, and yeah, they're all somewhat, they're connected by the world, but they're like, none of the narratives are, tend to be directly connected, which. I mean, I could talk about maybe a bit later, but, you know, really helped us in production um, and was something really, really deliberate, were deliberate about just because we're such a small team. But yeah, that's the game really. It's about Sable finding herself and people in this world, they basically, everyone wears a mask um, and at the end of the game, Sable has to choose her mask. So the game is her trying on all, all these different masks and trying to discover like who she is and what that means and there's like an introspective aspect to the writing, um, as well as, the, the narrative, just like exploring and trying on these different masks. Yeah. And it's, you know, we yeah. draw a lot about, um, like gap years or like, uh, cultural things where people, people leave home and, and go and discover themselves and become adults basically. And that's kind of what this is. Um, and that's yeah, really that's awesome. that really is that sort of
0: that big middle right is the is the rite of passage is Sable going off on her gliding as you call it from her culture and um, finding her, finding her masks and choosing one at the end is it, that is that middle right, it is that rite of passage there it's, it's yeah it's so, quite beautiful yeah so the thing that I now want to sort of hone in on uh, for our audience our listeners here is really the development because i do want to talk about those things like i said it's an exercise in constraint there's some amazing inspirations there and i think you've really you really found a concentrated way to like pay homage to so many beautiful things and capture the essence of some some really really great and amazing inspirations that are much bigger than your game and the teams and everything so it's, it's really quite a commendable effort but what i wanted to drill in on is where the seed of this game and sort of how did how did that start so you got Daniel and yourself, you're together, you're like, hey, we're a lit major and an architecture grad. Like, what do we we want to make a video game? How does Sable come along and, and run us through the the beginning of that journey?
1: Yeah, so um we we were kind of freelancing, making games uh for other people. We were making some mobile, smaller mobile projects for ourselves, like small puzzle platform type things. Um, but they weren't really our strength or what we were really interested in making. Um, and Sable, mm-hmm. I think, uh, I remember watching, um, was it Force Awakens, um, and the first like 15 minutes or whatever where Rey is on Jakku and just thinking like, Oh, what if she wasn't the hero? Like, what if she didn't leave home? Um, what if that was a game, just like exploring a place and learning about a world and, and, and not leaving, um, And so that was the kind of like seed of the idea. Um, And it went, so we started that early 2016, in fact, uh, just exploring a few different things. And we did it through a two-hour prototype together, just like a couple of Unity assets, a a 2K by 2K sandbox, and then just a giant cube in the background that you could drive this like hover vehicle out to. And uh, we took that to the pub. And for some reason, people seemed interested. We'd taken games to the pub before; nobody cared. So Okay, maybe there's something here. There's something here. Love it. But to be honest, with you, we just thought this was what we cared about, and nobody else would really find it interesting. So, we we sat on it for. We we pitched it a couple places. We got turned down. So we sat on it for a year, and then a year later, um, we kind of decided we made we. we We just like let's just make the thing we want to make (laughs) like how let's just do it and we kind of designed this project around our strengths i think that was a big difference between what we had done previously and what we did with sable was we had never done a building with like any writing or any narrative or any architecture up to sable which Given our like backgrounds, and our interests was in retrospect kind of just mad. Um, but <laughs> yeah,
0: that's it, right? They just yeah, yeah,
1: yeah. It was, uh, and so we did the obvious thing, and we just went for it. We didn't really think we would make uh, the project we made. We thought it would be. We had a bit about six months of runway, and we were just like, let's just do it. Six months. Let's have fun with it. Let's just get it out, and then. Uh, and then we—I don't know—I may, maybe I would have just gone back to architecture and done my masters or something, honestly. Um, and Daniel probably would have got a programming job in a game studio. But, um, but yeah, the first week or two, we started showing GIFs, which never, we never—we were—we're quite bad at sharing things, actually. So we never thought to like <laughs> share this stuff. I think Daniel did it as a like tech thing, and then it like it started, It was like, okay, these numbers are kind of interesting. And then another one where it's a bit more to it. I was like, okay, and then we started getting articles written about our gifts, and it was like, okay, this is
0: <laughs> you're like, no, okay. stop, stop. <laughs> yeah,
1: it was. I mean, then this was two weeks in, so I think this was actually a big problem. <laughs> yeah, this was a big yeah. problem for you us. You can file this I, under
0: game dev horror stories, right? Like, yeah, well. <laughs>
1: We did it was, I mean, We were so grateful. We were so grateful that we had anyone caring about what we were making. And and that was, you know I remember the article we had written, I think it's a boing boing article, it was just like a quick post, but it was really nice and it was really well written and it was clear like what the buzz about the game was. So when we were like recruiting people later on, I just copied that article and be like, We're making a game, here you can see it, and then like use that article to recruit people later on. Um yeah that was the start really it was just this small thing and we really really didn't think anyone would care or be like we thought we all care and a few people who like the things we like will care but um yeah I think I think the biggest thing was actually yeah the idea and stuff like that was 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 compelling but actually I think the like technical execution of the art style was such a uh like Uh, so captivating in a gif actually um because it looked so two-dimensional and then would kind of reveal itself to be three-dimensional and i think that like that little magic trick in like three seconds always seemed to be effective well it seemed to be really effective at the beginning um on social media and then like gradually we Mm -hmm. developed it and were able to kind of sell it on the idea of the game um but yeah that was the initial
0: so how uh, how did that it's it's an amazing story and it's it's funny because i i interviewed the unpacking devs and it was kind of a similar thing you know where it was the gift that was like oh okay this is this is bigger than we had thought sort of thing so how does a how does it go from that idea where it is and it's and it's such a beautiful um story in regards to the gift blowing up because you can see it and people sort of know what to expect from sable and that's one thing you can say about the game is like it delivers on the thing in that first gift or the second gift that went online right like you 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 delivered on that promise so how do you then what's the next steps like you're two weeks in these gifts start blowing up you don't have much there how did you then go about going okay well what's the rest of this game and then when did it become like a proper project you know raw fury came on board at some point you know in the credits i can see 10 names in there like oscar and meg and other folks as well
1: yeah yeah we um we definitely scaled up from the two person team and we had a (laughs) fantastic team um on this project um like you say i think we were about 10 i think i can't remember the exact number 14 maybe total touched the project but um i would say full time we were mostly between uh i don't know like four and six say um yeah but the fun size yeah so uh, the first thing we kind of we did was find a publisher really and raw fury actually were quite um on the front foot about that and approached us uh, very directly um callum particularly um and I remember we, we had a meeting with him it was meant to be an hour and it was just like in a corridor at um, EGX in Birmingham. Um, and we had the laptop in front of us and it was like a really quick vertical slice we'd done. And that one hour meeting turned into a two hour meeting. And I just remember Callum just staring at the like day night cycle. We had like packed together and just like looking at the colors changing. And was clearly like captivated by that for some reason. Um, and then he said to us you have to come to stockholm um so we're like okay like let's go we both have like family in that part of the world as well so we're just like okay let's just go uh we know it well enough um and yeah they the, raw fury were really uh really keen on the project they made us feel like they got the project but also that they were going to give us freedom to kind of learn on the project because we knew we knew that, that we were coming in raw. We knew that we, they were coming in really early. We didn't have a pitch, even a pitch deck or anything. They basically said to us, like, how much do you think this is going to cost? And we worked it out with them. We didn't, because we hadn't done that before. So for us, that was actually mm-hmm. really supportive and helpful because, and, and, you know, we had a really honest conversation about that. We put a date in the contract and a number in the contract. But, you know, from the get-go, they had said to us, like, look, those are just numbers in the, in the contract. If you need more time, if you need, uh, you know, more money, we'll, we'll talk about it. And it will be a very like open understanding conversation. And it was, and they really delivered on that, um, several times throughout the project. And actually we, That's we expanded quite a lot in the project because we ended up with a Game Pass deal and Microsoft, uh, deals that just meant that our budget would, could grow, um, even then we were, it was still a very ambitious project for the size, um, for the size of team and yeah. the, uh, the scope that we had. But um, yeah, so so then we went about recruiting really, and we we approached uh, a variety of collaborators. Um, really early on, um, we had Micra an animator on board. We had Meg yeah. Janth We had Michelle uh, Japanese Breakfast. Michelle Zona and martin as well mm-hmm. um and i'm trying to think yeah. if anyone else had joined at that point um maybe shanaz maybe that came later but yeah we just we just started recruiting based on like people's work we admired really and um yeah, yeah. It kind of snowballed from there and, and later on we we had kim and david from sweet baby join us for the writing and that was amazing experience um and who else? yeah like people uh, Oh, yeah. And then Yanis and Jordan, we had two people come in the office. Yeah. Anyway, I'm just I'm just saying names at this point, but it doesn't necessarily mean <laughs> that. Um, no. But yeah, no. no I, 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 I mean, team really, yeah, they really contributed so much and, and the game wouldn't be what it is without them. Um, but uh, I, I do think we also um, we had such a clear vision from the beginning and that is what allowed us to kind of punch above our weight Mm. in a way. And we had a clear vision of what it should be, but I think we weren't um, too dogmatic about the exact details of how we got there. So the idea was always like, protect this aspect of like freeform exploration that in the game. Um, Mm. But uh, So every decision, every design decision, every aesthetic decision fed into that basically and making sure that that worked.
0: And Martin, like I imagine, you know, coming on to this at this point in the process, that would have been something fantastic for you as well. It's not often when you go in, especially so early in the process of, uh, you know, even some indie games where you, it doesn't have such a, or it has such a clear vision.
2: I, I think, uh, yeah, I think that was actually one of the things that was really, really great about it. I think maybe I was the, the first uh, person to join the team mm-hmm. for like the project um, and it's, it's it means that we had a lot of time to work on audio, and when Michelle joined as well, we had a lot of time to work on audio and music together, which is really too sad to say. Like but I also I also remember like seeing uh, I was pretty much sold in the game from just the two GIFs. that uh, was on Twitter. <laughs> uh, I was looking at them for like a long time, like, hmm, this resonates with me in some kind of deep, fundamental way. Mm. Uh, but I just want to also say like um, being the third person that kind of jumped on the team. I was also quite amazed that uh, these, two pe- uh, and these two people, like both Greg and Dan, had like never really done this before. And the way they kind of slowly gathered a team around them and kind of made sure that everyone saw the vision, everyone um, uh, worked well together. And I'd say like doing that for the first time, that's really hard. I've seen so many uh, small teams kind of struggle a lot and or B teams struggle a lot with these things, and. Uh, I think the whole process for me was like very, very impressive with how how well uh, Diana and Greg uh, treated the team and uh, kept the game uh, going really, really well. I think that's a huge strength, and so, um, that can be kind of felt as a result.
0: I'm so glad that you said that, Martin, because after everything that Greg just said, he still didn't explain how two guys that had never really made video games before figured out how to make a game as big as Sable, even, you know, in an exercise in constraints. So it's really, really interesting to hear from your perspective that it was that like it seemed like, you know, Greg and Dan were just, you know, sort of feeling obviously there's some knowledge there and everything but like there's some even thinking about console submissions and different you know programming for different platforms and things like that like figuring it out as you go and it's amazing it's I think it's really important for our readers to hear this and know this stuff too is that there are games like you know Goose Game was the second game that the crew at House, House ever made you know like these big really successful games whether it be commercially or critically or even just in regards to you know the achievement of the the actual piece of work and art at the end that they can be they can be put together by people who haven't spent twenty years in AAA dev or you know gone to college studying game design or have some hotshot producer on the project or something.
3: Hmm.
1: Yeah, definitely. Yeah. I think yeah. I think you know it is important to mention that we did we did, had had previous projects under our belt at this point as well, like smaller yes, mobile projects. But you know, just because they are so much smaller. The experience is definitely different, mm-hmm. um, but you do learn thing, a lot, you know, just by you know, <laughs> you're not starting your project with source control on a USB stick, um, you know, basic things, things like that. <laughs> uh, so, yeah, no, I think I think it's really important to to make clear that you really... know, we did have, have a bit of experience, but even though it wasn't like um, anything at this scale or um, or this ambition, you know, this this it was like our first game, but at the same time we did have a couple of pieces of work uh, uh, to show for it previously. Mm, Absolutely. And it,
0: and it, just even going through that pitch to ship process on any game of any scale. Like that's how I cut my teeth when I started was a studio called Taurus Games and it was small third party sort of games, you know, like your Scooby-Doo's or your, you know, whatever it might be. And you got a tiny, tiny budget and short turnaround, but it teaches you so much just in that process of like getting that complete game out there. It's the same as the game a week thing. I remember it was Chris Charla from, from Xbox speaking to me about, You know, it it actually doesn't matter the size of the game that you're working on. It's just going through that cycle time and time again. I I just completely agree with it. And so were those projects in between, Greg, were they in between that first initial like, you know, take it to the pub quick prototype and then when you picked it up again like a year later or more? Uh,
1: There was some, some just before that and then, yeah, in between as well. So we did actually we did one kind of after we had shown the gifts of Sable, we released the game uh on mobile i don't even think it's available anymore because we don't pay the apple uh, like app store uh, <laughs> 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 uh but um i think it was it was called a uh, swing king and the temple of bling and it was like you're this little monkey and you're exploring these temples uh and it's like a two D uh, platform puzzler sort of thing um and no i mean i think that the, actually one of the biggest things it prepared me for was just like the emotional damage that video games do to you when you try and release them uh, martin's got the game now on his phone Yeah, uh, yes i think it's still on android <laughs> I don't know. There it is, guys. yeah i can't i can't remember <laughs> um, but yeah i think i think just like releasing a video game is such a difficult process on just a like technical level on mm-hmm. just like what you have to do as a job and then the emotional side of it is something that i think can be very difficult to prepare for because or you see are like successful mm-hmm. people, you don't even really see the failures that often. Mm-hmm. But when you do, you don't hear from people because people don't want to talk about that stuff. Mm-hmm. And so like those yeah, games, Ice like, did okay for us, but it wasn't like a, I don't know, you couldn't make a living from those games forever. You know, we, we could just about survive yeah. off them. But yeah. It was really, and, and I think yeah. having that experience of like pressing the button, and then nobody caring and like you know you put you put a lot of time and effort and emotion into something i think that prepared prepared me personally for like releasing sable because i think i think just like the the highs and lows emotionally of releasing a video game even just showing a video game like um when we first showed the game in 2018 and you know it kind of blew up on social media the trailer was like top for number one on reddit or something i can't even remember but um <laughs> uh, i actually just sunk into like quite a, a emotional state like i was quite depressed after that and i just I had to realize like no this is just is chemical yeah, you're no, you're, you've cut out a little bit okay oh i'm yep. back yeah i'm back yeah you're back um, sorry yeah it put me in yeah it put me in quite a like uh a dark place in a way and that was you know i knew i could tell i could feel that that was almost like chemical because it was just so i was went from such a high high to then just like dumping that chemically almost i don't know i don't know what was happening but i just remember like feeling that and thinking how i had similar feelings when we had released our previous games but like it hadn't gone well even and you Mm -hmm. you feel this high high of like having finished something pressing the button to release and just like no nothing from it and i think that's the sort of thing that it actually really i remember really vividly it preparing me for personally because um i think i probably would have struggled a bit more with that stuff if uh if i hadn't had that experience um i think that's the thing i always tell developers and, and that now is, yeah releasing a game is is it's emotional as well it's not just it's hard. hard yeah
0: yeah, I've heard folks refer to it before as like some sort of postpartum thing as well as, you know, you spend so much time with this thing and then it's gone, it's absent from your life. There's like a, a notion, this sense of purpose or um, that, you know, games as multi-year projects, especially, you know, ones that you put yourself, so much of yourself into, that it just leaves a big hole in your life there. Yeah, definitely. definitely. So <laughs> so something I am interested to really get into now is is the game itself and i and i really want to talk about um just some of the like me personally being being selfish about this the, the thing that i really really took away from the game was this you know this ex- exercise in constraint you know and i've heard greg you and dan talk about inspirations like you know you mentioned star wars here right a huge multi-billion dollar franchise um uh you we mentioned uh, i've heard you mention uh uh Zelda as well and Breath of the Wild, right? And, which, and you can see those when you play the game, you're like, oh, okay, there's there's some similarities there. But again, big, big teams. But you've managed to take some, like a slice of what makes those games magical and um, what that game magical and really, you know, distill it down to the, the parts that you want, like in the essence of it. And so... What was it when you really looked at when you get when you say, okay, this game is about exploration, like where did you find that line between what this game is and what this game isn't? You know, you said you had a really refined division. What were those raises there you were like, it doesn't have this, it doesn't have combat, it doesn't have these things, and you kept that that verticality quite, quite low?
1: Yeah, that was I mean, that was at were uh our limitations you know it's an expression of us Mm -hmm. as a team and uh you know daniel and i particularly so um you know we decided okay this is going to be very architecturally focused because that's what we can do we can deliver on that but the thing that we decided we weren't going to do for example was combat because we didn't have an animator on board at the time and, and i didn't i didn't think i could do it and i don't think daniel could do it um so okay, okay combat requires a lot of animation work uh, to do well mm-hmm. and a lot of balancing and and you know like it's it's a lot of work so what if we take that out but another big thing that we did was uh, that ended up impacting the world building was the masks for example uh, the mask that that's a product of a limitation i really didn't want to draw and animate faces uh throughout the game <laughs> so but we wanted to populate uh the world with you know more than just sable um so Mm -hmm. the thought was okay what if everyone wore a mask what does that mean Mm. for the world building and then that became like the core conceit of the game and you're trying on these different masks but it, it originates from that kind of technical limitation um because we had quite a clear idea how some things were going to be achieved technically so like the characters or the hover bike is modular for example and that was again, so we could populate Mm -hmm. a world and then it turned into a mechanic for the player to use and turned into a big motivation in terms of exploration. Um, these were all kind of aspects that like you say, like originate from that idea of constraint, um, and limitation and just really embracing that as much as possible. And, um, Mm -hmm. I think that's where like really good design does occur is when, when you have those limitations. Because when you don't have a limitation, it's, it's kind of not design anymore. It, it's just putting yeah, stuff I, in. I completely um, agree. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, and I think that naturally suited the, the, you know, we set it in a desert because it suits that. And we always thought, you know, the desert could be an ocean. It could be like dunes or whatever. But the point is that it's relatively lifeless and the player shouldn't spend loads of time just meander like really like uh doing stuff in it they should be traversing through it and that was mm. that was you know where that yeah. comes from and so it was this kind of confluence of ideas that we decided would contribute to helping us uh make a game like this really um and the, the art style you know because it uses because it's so stylized and because because it uses this outline, um, it meant that we could actually keep the mm-hmm. art style relatively low poly, but still have mm-hmm. what looks like a, a relatively, I wouldn't call it a high amount of detail, but there's like a, a good density there without without yeah, having to spend cool like yeah. text texturing stuff. And yeah, like, um, so I think that all that stuff, we were really geared towards making the most of, of what we had. Um, I mean, that's not to say we made like loads. Every decision was, clever. I mean, fundamentally making a world <laughs> yeah. game where you can climb on everything uh, is, is probably a bad decision. And that's where that philosophy went yeah. out the window. Um, yeah. But I think we were really ambitious in that regard because we knew that the architecture stuff was a strength. And it was like, okay, what's the challenge of this? It's that you have to make your building, your spaces like believable from, literally every angle um yeah and uh and then i think the technical challenges we just had to deal with later which is like okay streaming and loading (laughs) that's a nightmare uh yeah and that was that was actually maybe uh you know it was problems that we knew were there in the beginning but uh but yeah, yeah we we figured them out in the end um but yeah, and of course so you sports. do. You find you find yourself in that position,
0: right? And you just yeah. so you you make your bed like three months, four months, six months, a year earlier, and then you find yourself having to lay in it later. There's so so yeah. much of game dev is that coming around
1: past yeah. past Greg haunting haunting you. Yeah, definitely. I think this is a almost a problem when you now we've done we've got that experience of doing this. We know like what were the bad decisions, and I think I've definitely yeah. found it harder to uh forget about that and just like go for something in a way like afterwards like it it, you have to almost uh be a bit blind to your own like foolishness um if you knew if you do know better now because I think you also don't achieve much if you don't have that ambition if you don't just try it and just think think like we will figure this out like even if it's hard work we'll figure it out it might not be as hard as we think you sometimes just have to go for it so there's a balance there for sure Um, but yeah I
0: that night that that naivety is definitely a a big ingredient in some bowl plans a a lot of the time as well and making sure that they come through so so martin how did this this constraint then you know influence you and what how did you exercise exercise that and you know marry up with you know the game is incredibly paced as well you know it's really purposeful uh, and then having michelle on board as well um really early on tell us talk us through a bit of your journey in regards to uh, sable and how you see you know speaking of design and constraints and the sound design and how you approach that
2: oh uh well, uh, first of all, English being my second language, I doubt I could explain it this eloquently that Greg just <laughs> did. Um, but I do think, um, I think for me, Sable, it's all about playing and feeling what was there and what we were going for in the sense that, you know, you walk around in this vast empty area. Yeah. The, the main things to kind of figure out for, for us with the audio was uh, the feel of things, like for instance, the feel of an abandoned spaceship, the feel of the sacred sanctums and the uh, mystical places, or just like the desolate kind of, the, the emptiness of the desert, of the different kinds of sand. and um, so. I think it was basically just mapping out these kind of things of how it should, how the thing should feel, and how it should play, and, and uh, what do we want the players to feel. Um, and beyond that, it was like a lot of um, iterating. I think the the main thing with Sable for me was like I was playing it a lot, I was testing it a lot, um, and uh, it kind of slowly emerged this uh, sound palette based from just a lot of a lot of experimentation, a lot of uh, trial and error, uh, a lot of just like. You know, like the footstep sounds I was still uh, working on up until the last bit of uh, the game with just like how should it sound with different kind of surfaces, how grainy should like it, uh, things sound like even though, you know, the, the art style is quite uh, flat and low detailed. We, uh, I think that Greg and Daniel talked about earlier uh, pretty early on in the process mm-hmm. was that the sound could contribute a lot of the uh, feeling with the texture. Uh, mm-hmm. uh, and uh, that was sort of like a, attention, a focus for attention. Uh, and I was like, once Michelle was in, it was also like, um, I'd say it was a pretty, e- very easy game to work on because uh, her music added so much together with the graphics, together with the writing, uh, together with just the movements in this space. Um, it was more like about making everything kind of work together and sewing it together delicately. And uh, for me, like the sound design felt like a nice, easy process of uh, having the time to just try out a lot of ideas and knowing very well about like how the intention of the game and where the uh, where the end goal was that we wanted to achieve. Um, mm. So I think that and that's also like a good result of coming into something very early that we can we can actually try a lot of things and, and, uh, and I could be like a part of the game as it progresses and um, the audio could develop alongside with design with art with um, with the, with the written words. Hmm. I, feel like, uh, so I, I, I feel like I mean I have to say like I think of all the big games I worked on I also think sable was probably one of the most delightful um projects I've ever worked on and I think I still just like uh, hope that uh, yeah would like to work on it again and I think a lot of people <laughs> work on Sable feel the same way as well and it's I think it's to do with just it wasn't it was a clear vision it, it was a delightful game and also like just playing the game felt like it, it's just. It's just like this is really really nice like even at the last two months where we were working pretty hard to get it done i would still if i needed a break from working on the game i mm. would just you know go hit up lore which is a character in sable and have a conversation with her and i would just you know like have a lot of emotion uh, about it and feel very good about you know i'll take i take the like half an hour of the game to play the game and enjoy it and then go back yeah. to working on the game um,
0: i, I, I think, relate to that for sure you know in playing the game I played a little bit before, you know, knowing that I was going to interview you for the podcast, and then I was like, "All right, well, I got to," you know, it's good a good reason to go back to go back to Sable, make time for it, and uh, you know, stuff at our studio right now is really full on. You know, like we're about to announce a couple of games, and there's a lot happening. And I found Sable, it wasn't like another thing on my task list to do for the podcast and the prep and everything like that. It was, it actually became part of my escape from the day and part of my unwinding and just, you know, exploring those dunes and going over them. It was, it's just such a, such a meditative experience, even the climbing and things, you know, every, every, every part of it. And Martin, one point that I I wanted to speak to you about particularly in the game is that moment where you break out of that first starting area and the title, you know, comes up on screen um, we come out of the cold open, as they would call it, you know, in in um in TV. And Michelle's track kicks in. It's just such a such a fantastic moment. Uh, how did that come about? Where did where where did that start? And how did you how did how did you massage that into what it is today?
2: It, it, that needed no massaging. Like I think, uh, Mich- <laughs> Look, basically, yeah, Mich- Michelle made that track, um, and uh, it was quite early in the process, so that the track was quite broad in the sense that. She thought of the main themes in the game and uh, how how we would, would generally feel about going out off in mm-hmm. off into something unknown, um, and and uh, and also I think like everyone on the team had at some point this very strong impact of emotional when they played this uh, part, even though you know yeah. we work on it. But so so it, this that specific moment needed kind of no massaging. I think we pretty much put it in. And we kind of calculated a little bit, like how uh, how long did it need to be to the next point, to the next uh, camp, uh, mm-hmm. for it to kind of make sense that the music will start playing. Um, and I think after that, didn't touch it almost. Uh, I came back once because there was some bug with uh, if you if you jump into the bubble, it's attenuates the music a little bit there, and that was kind of jarring. But that was like one year after, and it, it's just it was the music was just perfect for that sense um it's beautiful i think we kind of wanted uh, our own uh, red dead redemption one moment you know like so and that's yeah that's
0: that's exactly exactly what i thought about great yeah
2: great yeah got something to say
1: yeah no i just was gonna say i think one thing i wanted to say when you were talking about the audio design earlier was um how because the game is so stylized because the art is so stylized because what we're rendering is 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 so specific the audio was so crucial to yeah adding that texture and i think i think it's like can't be overstated what a big impact it had in terms of particularly in the dunes like when you're just driving along giving that a sense of kind of mm-hmm. life and inhabitation without actually having to like render skinned meshes uh, somewhere in like completely (laughs) separated from like a, a, you know, a scene that was actually had something to do in it. And, you know, just having like crickets, you know, it, And I'm sure, you know, the audience of this, um, of this podcast will appreciate that. But I, I would really like to make a point of that, particularly for this game, just because it was so stylized, you know, even just like the ambience of a, of an old temple or whatever and, you know, hearing it echo off the walls and it really gave, gives that surface kind of materiality, um, you know, the, the stonework or like, uh, or the echo of the steel, you know, it, it, it changes how it feels completely. Whereas prior to that, mm-hmm. prior to those going in, it, it could feel very flat, you know, particularly in this style. Um, it just makes such a huge difference, such a huge difference. And I, I think, it, yeah, it really adds so much. I just wanted to make that point, really, um, that uh, from, an, <laughs> yeah, from I, a like, I, visual design perspective, it has a huge impact.
2: Um, I, I think I think it's a good... Um, I mean, like, I'm very glad you mentioned Gunner already, because Gunner is this platform where it's a really cheeky sound. Um, and the. I think that I always, since we talked about working on Sable, it's like how it was to work on, I think um, it's also worth mentioning that uh, I always saw Sable as like uh, anti-Star Wars, you know, like there's uh, there's no great evil or good in the galaxy and it's, it's not afraid to take itself a little bit like less, um, you know, high and high and serious. So
3: mm-hmm.
2: a lot of the, a lot of the, uh, Sables came from like looking for the fun, looking for the unconventional like let's not necessarily make a hover bike sound like a hover bike as in Star Wars or Star Trek or or, or all these 5,000 other sci-fi uh, movies that are out there out are, are comic because I think there's a lot of sense of play and humor in Sable that uh, I was really trying to kind of look for as well and uh, in that sense like yeah I, I totally agree with Greg that um, we did lean on that gunner like on looking for like weird and sounds that necessarily didn't Mm. sound epic is a good word like we shied away from epic even though you know the glider track coming in certainly did feel epic and emotional mm. as did the ending i feel as well like there were plenty of moments where that came in later and it kind of really helped i think the rest of the game wasn't afraid to talk about beetle poop or farting farting little uh <laughs> plants that you would put in front of a giant beetle and the Beatles in general had lost a lot of humor, I think.
3: <laughs> yeah,
0: definitely. There's that is something that I did want to ask you, Greg, is how much was humor a consideration from from the outset? You know, because they, the game does have a really really particular sort of like signature sense of like, like comedy to it, um, and the and these people, and it's almost I can't figure out whether it's you and Dan or whether it's the whether it's the actual people um, from these different cultures and the characters themselves, and you know the writers. Have, it's it's um, it really is quite quite affecting.
1: I yeah, I think that is a bit of me and Dan. Like I don't know when I plan a quest or whatever, I do like to. Uh, play with or subvert expectations sometimes i think that's part of it like a lot of the game was Mm. like trying to set up mysteries or things to discover but sometimes it's fun when those things aren't as serious as you thought you know that that's actually more memorable Um, but i think yeah and i I do think you know that there are it is our sense of humor for sure Um, i think that comes through Um, but the The other side is just that, like, from a world-building aspect, I think it lends more believability to your world if the people in your world don't take everything, like, super serious because that's how people in real life Mm -hmm. are, you know? Like, um, one of the kind of ideas behind this game, and I think this is something really inspired by uh, Studio Ghibli, was just the idea of, like, normality and having people doing ordinary everyday things in a world that is quite fantastical and unbelievable and unreal in a way. Um, And that helps ground Mm -hmm. Sable as a character, but also the world as a place. Um, So like it has a functional purpose as well as just us, I don't know, maybe getting a bit bored and like thinking, yeah, let's just do something like, let's just go for it. Like, Mm -hmm. um, And I think it's more memorable. Like the chums, the chums was like, I remember showing my girlfriend that and she just, she, she was just annoyed at me. She was like, this is just ridiculous. You can't do this. Uh, and there are times when, when you have those conversations. This is
0: illegal, I mean, Greg. You can't put these in the game. Yeah, yeah. Like, I'm pretty
1: sure this constitutes something. Um, and, but you know, you're just having fun with it. And you know it's a bit of a play with some of the like other sci-fi references that uh, get a bit uh, a bit funny as well. But no, I think... I'm trying to think specific moments that are like really comedic, but, but it's something we talked about with the writers. And I think they have a really good sense of humor too. So, you know, I'm mm. not, I'm not trying to take yeah. it away from them, but it was uh, definitely something that we, we, to be honest, with you, I wouldn't say from the beginning we were like, yeah, this game has to be quite funny yeah. or anything, but it was just a natural yeah. part of the process of, of putting ourselves in the game, I think, um, because, yeah, we did have a yeah, good time. And,
0: with and it does feel yeah. quite natural in, in its execution.
1: Yeah, I'm glad to hear that. I mean, it's always hard to know as well when you find something funny, if it's just going to come across as a bit weird, but I think that was also okay.
3: <laughs> yeah,
0: that's made at every dinner party.
1: Yeah, for yeah, sure. Yeah, I feel like that's okay too. <laughs> I feel like that's okay too. I think, yeah. <laughs> I wonder if there's like a sort of cultural thing as well there, where it's like, the humorous, oh,
0: yes. Interesting.
1: Yeah. Like the humor is maybe slightly more British than, than a lot of players would be used to, maybe. I don't know. But that's just speculative. It's hard to say. Well-
0: Well, culturally, we share a little bit of that, you know, that that style of humor. And it it definitely I could I could sense I could sense it for sure is it's it's drier and it is more sort of in the moment um, than and that's why I asked, was it a was it a purposeful thing or was it just, you know, the result of. The team and yourselves, because it definitely, definitely did feel like that sort of it just was naturally finding its way into into the world. I mean, it really feels in place, and so speaking to that, and you know, a sense of place, because it's something that Stable really has. Martin, you spoke to that for a bit. Greg, you've spoken about it as well, um, but there is just so many things that contribute to this, and. One that I you just spoke about mysteries and fantastical elements in something like, you know, Studio Ghibli, but it feeling quite grounded because of the, you know, people doing everyday things and stuff like that. But one thing that the game does have is this real, like a real strong sense of myth. You know, like it, it does feel like it is a place that, you know, the the people, the different cultures, they have their own their own myths, whether it be quite religious or quite practical. You've we've got these futuristic Um, or these ancient societies that had this futuristic technology that are no longer with us anymore, there is, you know, it has all of these very mythical connotations um, and a presence to it. How, What were your inspirations there? And that does feel like something that was there from the outset, right, is to create a a world that really did feel mythical but almost grounded within it.
1: Yeah, I think um, there are a few, like, literary inspirations, I think, Uh, like... Uh, I'm trying to think exactly. I think like Ridley Walker was one that Daniel talked a lot about. Uh, I've not actually read it, but um, I tried to read it. It's hard to read, um, but it's this idea of like this character exploring like I think it's Kent, rural Kent, in in and like after a kind of apocalypse has occurred, and just the language mm-hmm. and culture is like warped and distended in su- in interesting ways, and the idea is that you can see kind of the origins of these ideas in the modern culture by understanding our culture. Um, and I think this idea of like just historical through lines and, and things coming from other things rather than just being arbitrary, um, in origin culturally was like a really important thing for us. And we tried to establish, um, these kind of three eras in the game that we talk about, um, the atomic, which is like the ships, the monumental, which is kind of like the old, old, more static ruins and then the nomadic era, which is like the modern era. And we try to like overlay these different eras and the ideas, like each one has its own ideas about how people live or should live or might live. Um, and those things interact and lead into one another. And we really try to tie those together um, and have them sit on top of each other, but also have it so that it wasn't necessarily clear-cut. So characters in the mm-hmm. game aren't necessarily aware of certain historical things or aware of how... You know, where. why, why do we wear masks? Like, uh, they're not necessarily aware of why that is the case, but it has some origin in, like, when humans first arrived on this planet or whatever. Um, and mm-hmm. I think... For me, at least, like, from my perspective, well, it was something that we talked about as a team a lot, and we we engage with a lot as a team. And I think Daniel and I, when we just converse generally, you know, we'll spend a lot of time talking about these ideas. But from my perspective, uh, architectural process actually led me to that as well. Um, so in architecture, you spend a lot of time really contemplating context um, and you just have these limit things that you pull from. So whether the context is your client, your budget, the location, the culture, the the brief, you know, you have all these different aspects to pull from. And when you make a video game, you just kind of have to work, work what that is out. And I think, um, you know, you can make those decisions off the cuff and just kind of like uh, instinctively, intuitively run with it. But what we try to do is really think mm. about, where the through lines are rather than things necessarily being purely there for like aesthetic, they come from something. So, like, uh, and also just not telling the player everything. Um, and really, I think that works in two ways. One, it means that you don't have to like really flesh out everything, like, I don't have to know the dates of this war or oh. whatever in this world, but um, and try and explain that to the player well, because I it's think it's like,
0: um, yeah. When you, when you do say that, it, that's one of the big things that the game has too is that that mystery, that sense of mystery. And as a as a player, there is so much stuff that we don't know. And as you said, like the people themselves maybe don't even know why they wear these yeah. masks, but um, <laughs> it's like explaining things away is the, the easiest way to kill that mystery and that sense of myth or sense of importance. You know, we all saw it with midichlorians however many years ago. Um, but yeah. how did you make – that? where did you make those calls or how did you – did did it feel a natural process of what to reveal and what not to reveal to the player? Because another thing that the game does, which is quite unique to Sable, is this constant inner monologue through the game, where you could just explicitly explain a lot to the player through the inner
1: monologue. Yeah, that the inner monologue was really important because we wanted to ground Sable as a character um, and have her be a real person, but also have her be someone that doesn't just arrive with amnesia and you know, has lived in this world but is also discovering mm. it and discovering herself. And you're right, like there was information that we could we could kind of litter through that. Um, but in terms of what we revealed and what we hid, mm. there wasn't like a big scientific kind of process to that. It was just what felt right. Um, <laughs> and
2: yeah, that's yeah. it really
1: is. It's just kind of what is what feels like the right level of secrecy and mystery and I think that's like something i really love i really like engage with i find it interesting I've, i i yeah. like i like i like your, any mystery you know like whether it's a kind of true crime mm-hmm. mystery or a, a like exploration just like what's around this corner like i find that stuff so engaging and i think that uh i think that's true for like i think video games can do that really well and just video games for me are about learning a lot of the time so whether it's learning yeah. about a world, learning about a mechanic, and mastering it, you know, like there's there's a lot of like the as a game designer, you have to teach or tell the player information basically, and working out mm-hmm. the threshold for that information is part of all game design, I think. Um, even you know whether it's something more kind of like um, gamey, I guess, like something that is actually yeah. you know a game or something that is more like what we made which i guess is a bit more just uh, uh ambient than than a like win fail state game um but i still yeah. think in both of those design practices it's it is about information that you reveal and don't reveal and and so i try and think about it in that way and think about it as a resource for players as well like you know i think this is something that came to me a bit later on but like um also not having information not having things that aren't there um, having uh, places that are empty give, give like a sense of depth and realism to the places that are more dense and it's about communicating where the player should go I guess that's really important but also just having this layer in the world it doesn't have to be explicit it just has to be there and I don't think players have to understand what is layered or in depth about it. They just have to feel like, uh, feel like there's stuff they don't necessarily understand. And it just, it gives things a depth. It gives, it gives things a a layering that I think if you, if you think about travel, right? Like one of the things that Martin Mm -hmm. and I did on this, on this game was we, we went on a, we went on a research trip around, uh, I think it was through Arizona. yeah. Yeah. Um, we're mostly researching the desert, but when you think about traveling in a, and actually that's not the best example. I went to Marrakesh afterwards. And when you think about traveling in a place or a culture that is unfamiliar to your own, you don't need every individual like thing explained to you to understand that it's like intriguing Mm. or be curious about it. I think just that you don't know about it is, is like, you know, curious to you as well in itself. Um,
0: Yeah. That's the beauty of it. Right. In a, in a, in a major way. Yeah, so, Martin, um, Martin yourself and, and Michelle Japanese breakfasts um, in this these cultures this this sense of myth, the fantastical, whilst uh, keeping it grounded. Um, at times, the and I mean this as a compliment. I mean, I, I, I seriously do because it could sound like I'm going the other way, but like the the soundtrack at times is so prominent that it creates. Um, it's almost like it is dictating the sense of space and it's and it's grabbing you and saying like this is the place this is the way that you should feel right now and it's a very welcome moment like you know the moment that we spoke about before but even in ambient moments through the game too and then there are moments where it's fully in the background and it's mm. and it's everything else and it's just this tiny little complimentary piece so yourself and michelle how did you how do you balance those, those three cultures and how present they need to be and this again this this sense of sense of myth and this mm. the fantastical
2: I think um, uh, we had some loose rules and definitions about different what we wanted to give a sense of the different uh, places, um, and that, that both dictated a little bit of how we did. Uh, she did approach composition, uh, and I just uh, approached sound design. But also, um, a lot of it came together in uh, in, in the implementation. So
3: mm-hmm.
2: uh, usually, uh, usually the, uh, the the like the um, uh, abandoned ships and the puzzles that you go into uh, have a more static sense of style, but they interact with the music and the sound design with each other and kind of mixes and merges. of what is what is kind of more uh, vague um, uh, b- because there's like this sense of something is happening, but something is not functioning correctly. But it's old and ancient, and um, and it, especially like those areas, especially indoors I think, are quite in your face because they're more focused um and that also reflects their uh, general state of like where they are from from the time uh epoch or something like that era era era, sorry yes (laughs) um but uh yeah but then they go out in the open and it's like the place by very different rules because we we lean in way more to the sense of we don't quite know where the player will go but we want to help them um, feel a sense of space and uh, joy of exploration and there it like has more of, um, I'd say at times the music may feel like it's more or less present, or sometimes in the background or not. But I think the fact that it keeps on evolving and it kind of moves with you and you know at dusk and dawn is quite quiet, If in the middle of the day it's quite loud, but if you start climbing, then the percussion might maybe falling away a little bit as you kind of start rising. Or if you jump down inside a the well, then, the, uh, then the voices are kind of gone. Um, we basically wanted to make sure that, um, the music and, uh, and ambience and atmosphere reacts a lot to what the player, uh, is doing. Um, so it's kind of like a companion piece in a sense, like it does dictate a little bit of how the vibe is, I think, but, uh, mm. but, but it also, um, but it also, uh, it's dictated a lot, uh, way more than I think a lot of people thinks about, uh, with what you actually are doing. Um, so. Uh, so I think it's like a nice kind of dance uh, that we're that I'm very happy about uh, the result in the end, like how it feels, uh, how it's always like there and and, um, and influencing you in ways. But I, I think, at least especially with music, and I can only talk about like kind of how uh, we did the implementation part of it because I didn't compose it, of course. But yeah. Um, I think there's a lot of kind of media uh, literacy when it comes to understanding what music is and what it wants to do. Mm. Uh, like if you hear sad music, you know, oh, this is a sad moment. If you hear like a hopeful music, oh, this this, this makes me feel this, this makes me feel that. But we also try to kind of put in um, interacting with you to be less static. Uh, so this can kind of keep feeling natural and keep feeling uh, organic to to the players. Um, uh in, uh, intentional like curiosity if that makes sense yeah it totally
0: does it totally does it's it's and it is you i i can understand how you're happy with the result because it is truly affecting how those things do like you know they really come to, It's some some moments you know you're climbing something and you break it and the colors are really quite saturated at that it's the perfect time of day and it's really You know, and there are some birds that fly off the top of the trailer, which is another thing. The amount of life and wildlife in the in the game as well is is quite quite impressive, and especially for just the two of you. You hear about that a little bit in a second, but just it. Sometimes it's that those sort of things, and then other times it really is. You're just hitting the dunes, and it's you know a Japanese breakfast track that's like really really um, holding you there, and it feels like this this really cooperative um, balance and dance between all the elements. So let's, yeah. let's talk a little bit about the amount of wildlife in the game, Greg, because I actually was <laughs> really surprised at how much it was because I was aware that there was two of you with some pals, you know, helping out on this. And I don't know how many different types of birds and beetles and different things I spotted. So where did, you know, when did you sort of start doing that and and lean into that to the degree that
1: you did? Yeah, I think, you know, we knew that part of, this world was the, the the story of this world was that uh well the story of the people was that they were adapting to the world more than they were mm-hmm. kind of forming the world around themselves. And part of that is is wildlife, right? Like it's nature, it's yeah. it's creatures, it's other things living and sharing this space with you. So, you know, it became an important part of the narrative almost that you felt connected to wildlife in this world and also like there are functional you know like goats and camels and stuff like that
3: um
1: in the world but um i think i think birds were like a really important one and actually it's been brought up before um and some of it's like just uh it's just bullshit like it's just like oh that's just a particle effect and it kind of just looks like a bird behavior (laughs) and you know I've i've had People say to me like, "Oh, the the variety of bird behaviors is incredible," and it's like, "No, like it's just, <laughs> it's just like it's bullshit." Um, so, like, I think, I think, yeah, I'm kind of revealing the magic trick here, but um, but that was that's yeah, one aspect, course. and then the the other is just uh, you know we tried to be clever again about how like with birds how we implemented that, and you know they're kind of they react to the player and it feels expressive, but um but they all use the base the same base system and the butterflies use a similar system and then the way that we distribute them is based on like biomes just to give each area like its own flavor and its own feeling and that Mm -hmm. combined with like the color profiles and the music and the you know the the feeling of move it just gives you a sense of moving through this space and then and then we just have some really basic behaviors on them. So like some butterflies, they only appear at certain times of day or only appear around certain kinds of plants. Um, and then we have the, be- the beetles are like the biggest thing and we try to tie them in with the culture of the of yeah. some of the characters in some of the world. And I would have liked to have actually done more of that, but um, it kind of got away from us a little bit. But, um, but yeah, the beetles, we, I think we had a lot of fun with and they were just quite like strange um i mean uh that actually i would also say had i i think there was um there were like three primary references for for the oh i try to remember so definitely there's nausicaa which i feel like the forests and the like the interplay between nausicaa as a character and uh Mm -hmm. the the like forwarding the, like, the industriousness of humanity and then the poisoning of the forest and, like, you know, the yeah. kind of interplay between those things were, like, something we didn't want to explicitly do in Sable but had ideas from. Then there was an animation, I think it's called Scavengers. Um, it's like I shorts. think I know. I yeah. was
0: playing the game, Greg, yeah. and I'm like, have they watched this weird animation where on this alien planet where they're going and they're finding all these different things and like feeding this thing to this other beast and then waiting for it to like yeah. come up from the bottom. Is that the one, are we talking about the same one?
2: Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. Like my, yeah. I, can, I just that, checked it now, I can confirm it. It's
1: called scavengers. Yeah. It's. I think I've sent it to you before, Martin. It, it's like, I think what was quite interesting about that animation was just like this idea of like an ecosystem, right? And it was quite a video game yeah. idea of an ecosystem
2: and the way things are
1: connected and like everything's a key that unlocks another thing. Um, and I think that gave me a feeling of like, Oh, but it still feels like an ecosystem in some ways. And like, in some ways, yeah, like nature is a bit like, is is systemic like that on a broad scale. And Mm -hmm. so you can explore those ideas. So, yeah, I think it comes from all of, all of those different aspects, I guess, like, um, And that's where the Beatles being a kind of like, you know, reactive to the player in a, in like really specific ways and kind of a puzzle. I think that's where that idea kind of comes from a bit. Um, Yeah. And I'm trying to think, well, yeah. So I think, I think those things, you know, they tie into what we're trying to say with the narrative of the world and then also what we're able to do mechanically. And I think I would have liked to have actually added a lot more like layering to that but uh doing like the ai for that was actually quite complicated and uh <laughs> and actually a real, a real like weak point in terms of the qa and like having to go back and forth back and forth on like oh this beetle is just not going back into like the position it should when, yeah so we tried to really like
3: yeah
0: reduce the no, behaviors um, it's yeah. funny most bugs coming from the bugs right
1: yeah, and exactly. Uh, that,
0: I love it. There's yeah, a beauty to it. It was true.
3: <laughs> it was
0: true. Yeah. Um, um, so look, there's something. Um, it, we're now. What are we? How how long since you since you've launched, Greg? What are we? Has it been a year? What's time? These not
1: days? quite. No, we, oh, launched we launched September 23rd. Yeah. Okay. yeah. So it's right. been
2: what? Like so, look. Eight it's
1: months? yeah, eight, eight,
0: nine months. Look, it's it's been it's been out there now for a bit right what is and the the game really you know as we've spoken about today it, it's really purposeful in its intent and it's really some could say defiant of you know the norms of the industry or the medium as we see it today in regards to open world games and stuff you know the the absence of hard fail states the absence of combat all of this sort of stuff like they're the really You know, fiercely meditative um, qualities that the game has. What coming out the other end, and I want to hear from you as well, Martin, on the other side of this too, um, answering this question. But for you and Daniel, Greg, standing nine months on the other side of launch, what is it that you're most? You know, you've been through award season, you've seen the sales, you've got the you've got the fans that no doubt have sent you emails or whatever it is. You've showed it around the world. What is it that you know you're most proud of, or? What do you feel Sable, Sable has done?
1: Um, God, it's so hard to say. I can't help but feel like... Uh, I still think we're kind of processing parts of it, but I think we're we're really proud of... <laughs> yeah, I think we're really proud of how... As a creative work, like, it's very much what we set out to achieve. And it, it, and you're right, and it's kind of a response to a lot of what, particularly when we started development, what was going on in open world games at the time. Um, um, I think we're really yeah. proud of of how that came out. And, like, we do get really, like, some of the messages we get about people who were, like, not in a good frame of mind before playing it, and then they felt like it felt like a kind of a meditative... Kind of experience a for catharsis them, really, of source. Yeah. You know, I, yeah, and I think that's been really cool to read, actually, and not something I particularly think we set out to or expected to achieve. Um, yeah, and I think, I think just, I think you, I think it's cool that like what, what we did with the world was so. I think it would have been very easy to make a game that didn't have the. Depth of our, the world building. I think we ended up with personally, and I think it would have been very easy to just lean on the aesthetic um, aspects of the game and let that carry us, mm-hmm. and then just make something that was a lot, a lot less ambitious, a lot more polished in some ways, um, and just a bit neater. Um, and mm-hmm. I think we always, I always kind of went the other way, which was just. Let's try stuff. And if, if even if it only kind of comes off, it's still like, you know, ambitious and, and it will still have something interesting that comes from it. And I think that's where, yeah. yeah, some of those ideas coming through and the scale of the sheer scale of what we did and like the amount of, I think some people we'll say, oh yeah, it's empty or whatever. But then I look at it and I'm like, there are so many lo- There are locations I forget about. Like I, I think maybe they're just spread out well, but yeah, like I think I'm really proud of, of just the sheer scale of it. And the team, the team was a, was, you know, a really nice team, a really brilliant team to work with. And I'm really proud and happy to be able to work with the team that we did.
3: Yeah.
1: Yeah, it
0: really is. It really is a, a marvel in those, in those ways. That you said it does and as I said earlier in the podcast I saw the gif when it was going off and I got that game you know however many years later so I, I agree with you in that sense and look I one of the things I don't think we'll have a chance to cover it today but one of the things that I really did love about the game was that it doesn't purport to be this you know Red Dead Redemption where it's like every single thing is you got to interact with and you know try and hijack my carriage like every five minutes you know I want to have some form of interaction all the time like it it feels really well balanced and proportioned, the amount of density to the world, whether it be the interactions with NPCs or whether it be the wildlife or whether it be the landmarks or the secrets or whatever it might be. I actually think that was definitely one of my favorite achievements of the game for sure. And it felt nice and sparse enough for me to move through and have those meditative moments without fearing that some some bandit was going to come and you know hijack my hijack my bike. So Martin, what what about you? I mean, you know, it's a big undertaking for you as well. You know, Michelle and Michelle on Sable. Is there any been anything particularly moving or for yourself um, now looking back on it? Or, you know, how do you feel as, a, as an artist yourself looking back in retrospect at the title?
2: I think I'm just very proud. I think Sable is a game that I feel a big sense of pride, pride in the sense that I'm very happy with what we achieved, um, both on the sound and music, but also just how everything came together. Uh, mm. I think I just look at that game as something that I uh, th- that I'm happy with. Uh, personally, I also am f- very happy that you know big games like this and also balancing life and other projects for sound designers can be hard because we're constantly doing a lot of different projects because you know mm-hmm. things and yeah. things lock in and you know things can be hard. Uh, personally, I'm also very happy that uh, I didn't burn out or something from a project this big because that's always a risk when. Uh, you get towards the end, and there's a lot of thing uh, things needing to be done, but uh, I think all, all in all, I, I think it's just the game, uh, the process, the team. Um, what kind of remains of is I feel is reflected in the in the end in the end game. Uh, so when you play the actual game, you um, I feel like it's all there. The things that I'm very really happy about. Uh, so I feel like I can kind of just point to if you play the game you can see the things that i feel are <laughs> worth talking about the game like it's it's all there it's uh it's something i'm very happy to have been a part of and i'm very thankful to have been a part of it
0: yeah it's a great feeling to finish you know and and it doesn't come often you know but like when you finish that project and when you can look back and you can just say oh the things i'm proud of are in the game you know like exactly. it's we set out to make the thing and and we made the thing it doesn't feel like we compromised on all these fronts or we fell short in all these different ways so congratulations gentlemen and to the rest of your team it's it's super super exciting and i thoroughly enjoyed my time with sable all right, and you know what? Thank you. Thanks for joining me uh, here today as well. It was a lovely, lovely meeting you both. And I really implore everyone: if you haven't checked out Sable yet, and you know you got some spare time, or you know things are tense at work, or you just want to try something something quite different to the, um, you know, what you're getting from your open world experiences these days, uh, really give it give it your time. Uh, mm. Try it out.
2: Thank you, folks. Great. Right. Thanks, Trent. Great. Thank you. Thank you so much.